Weekend, huh? Yeah, it's not over yet. The kids are still here. Yeah, they are. They don't go back till tomorrow. Nat, I'm reading this awesome book about anti gravity right now. Really? Yeah. I can't seem to What's put it down. <laughs> yes. <laughs> We're starting with a bang rather than a whimper. Yes. So this drunk, right? He goes to the doctor uh, complaining of tiredness and headaches. Tiredness mm-hmm. and headaches. I feel tired all the time. My head hurts and I'm not sleeping. What's the problem, Doc? The doctor examines him thoroughly and remarks, I can't find anything wrong with you. It must be the drinking. Fair enough, replies the drunk. I'll come back when you sober up. It's a good one. <laughs> it's not really. It's my favorite one yet. I don't know. Oh, Got out on the water a little bit this weekend. Did you know yeah. you, that you can uh, wear a kayak as a hat? I did not know. Once you uh, flip it upside down to put on your head, it's capsized. Okay, I'm done. Now we can, let's get on with things. Just needed to get those out of my system. Well, I'm glad that it is out. And uh, yeah, I'm having trouble shaking off this weekend. <laughs> but yes. the good news is there's almost no good news. I don't have any good news. I'm sorry. No, the good <laughs> news is we had a great weekend. Um, you know, Memorial Day. I wonder how everybody's Memorial Day out there was. We were discussing it on the um, on the inner sanctum about you know what's everybody doing, and you know because this is definitely one of the top uh, drinking holidays in uh, in all of America. Oh yeah, and uh, yeah. you think? Uh, <laughs> yeah, I mean, <laughs> it's this one Fourth of July, just pretty much any holiday. Which honestly, which holiday isn't a drinking holiday? It's yeah. I mean, they all are, right? It's, um, I think, yeah. There's not, you know, I can't think of one. Everyone is an excuse to drink. Well, some of us had more, um, a more intimate relationship with alcohol this weekend than others of us. Isn't uh, that true, intimate. Nat? I don't know if I would call it intimate, um, but maybe we should start the show. Oh, gonna... fuck. Yeah, okay, do that first. And we're back. Welcome to Recovery in the Middle Ages, the podcast about two middle-aged suburban dads in their pursuit of life, love, and recovery. I'm Nat X. And I'm Mike R. And boy, do we have a show for you today on RMA. We discuss Basketball Junkie by Chris Heron and Bill Reynolds, but it is the story of Chris Heron, the famously um, uh, famous addiction recovery uh, speaker who started out uh, as a phenomenal opportunity in basketball he made it all the way to the nba from a small small town in massachusetts um or was it rhode island it was massachusetts Massachusetts. (laughs) because everything was boston 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 and we are joined by our very first installment of meet the monsters uh with the great queen liz of monster haven one of the longest standing members and i shan't say oldest but one of our oldest and dearest monsters, uh, and uh, yes. she has been uh, awesome, just supporting us, and it was—it's been so great recovering together with her. So we're excited to hear her story. All this and more today on a very 
very special patriotic edition of RMA. Hey, hey, you're you know, your camera is shaking like uh, a drunk's hands after a three day bender. Yeah, yep, just like that. Not that anyone I'll will stop. see the video since I'm not producing them, but I'll stop gesticulating. How is it shaking though? Like, do you, is, well, my, I guess my knees are against the table. Oh, because I'm getting right up on the mic as as one should in these scenarios. Yes. Okay. Do we know that the sounds? And we're on Zencaster again. I mean, the sound was fine last time, right? Yeah, I mean, my mic was a little low, but you know that can be fixed in the mix. Yeah. I mean, you're you're the one fixing it, so you tell me. Can it, um, in fact, be fixed in the mix? It can. If I get the separate tracks, I was thinking about it. Oh, um, I don't want to do that. Yeah. <laughs> so, so um, I don't know. Coming back to you, this episode is brought to you by who is it brought to you by this very moment? It's brought to to you by Soberlink. Are we doing that this week? As long as they keep paying us, we'll keep tap dancing. All right. Uh, when you know um, better, you yep. do better. But sometimes doing better depends on what tools are available to you. As two men in recovery from alcohol use disorder, we know how difficult it can be to seek help for a disease that's so stigmatized. If you're struggling to get sober, Soberlink can help. Soberlink's remote alcohol monitoring system was specifically designed to help in your recovery. It's not just some breathalyzer you buy at the store. Small enough to fit in your pocket and discreet enough to use in public or in front of your kids, Soberlink devices combine facial recognition, tamper detection, and real-time results so friends and family know instantly that you're sober or not and working towards your recovery goals. This system would have been a game-changer for Nat and I during early recovery when every bit of accountability helps. Mm, yes. Uh, oh, man. If I had had something <laughs> like this, if I had had Soberlink when I was trying to get sober the first time this would have helped me tremendously man if only i could have sober link yeah i really can't think of a better tool for tracking and sharing progress and rebuilding trust in relationships agreed yeah yes. uh make 2023 a memorable one visit www.soberlink.com slash middle hyphen ages and then mike will middle hyphen your ages to sign i don't do that anymore to sign up and receive fifty dollars off your device i wonder how much they cost if you get fifty dollars off for mentioning us yeah you know whenever you see that in an ad it's like get the first thousand dollars off i'm like wait a second what does that mean listen that sounds expensive it might be a little expensive but can you put a price on accountability i don't think so i don't even know if it's expensive since i don't know what and, it costs um, i have no idea but i do know that it's definitely worth it because uh we've heard secondhand um, how Grant, uh, who was on the show last week, uh, he got a lot out of Soberlink. I think he might still be using it, or did he nah, kind of? I don't think used so. It, he used it exactly how it's supposed to be used, and this was before they were our sponsor. And um, it was really just an opportunity while he was doing the right thing, and while Grant, you know, he was actually sober finally, but still, you know, when your loved ones have seen you. Uh, do certain things for a certain amount of time <laughs> you know like it took my wife a very and family a very long time to trust me even when i was just getting in my car to go like to the store they're like is it the store or is he driving to the bronx yeah, to what store is he going to yeah exactly <laughs> is he heading <laughs> is he going to the, the heroin the store <laughs> yeah. or is he going to the dairy barn i wonder yeah, if so, people do people know yeah. about dairy barns do they have dairy barns I, in there part of the world i don't know if it if it's a national thing the dairy barn it's like a drive-through 
cigarette. We used to use it for cigarettes and beer. It's like a little dairy market type of thing or like a quickie mart drive through. My family used it for um, not cigarettes and beer. Typically, it was milk and bread and butter, that sort of thing. And you would pull up and then there was this weird language you had to learn. Like uh, they would tell you how much it, w- it was and you'd be like out of 20. And yeah, that's and, right. And they just come with your stuff and the change. So they didn't have to make that 10 foot walk to the register twice. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. That's right. And, and it wasn't like something you could go in and they had a drive through, like just no. picture. And it's literally shaped like a barn and painted like one. This is their brand. Right. And it's, it's like a covered drive through and there's one on each side. I never knew which side to go on. Yeah. You could go in on either side from either direction. If you're alone, you you should go on the one near the driver's side window. Exactly. But if you have somebody in the passenger seat, you can let them handle the transaction. I guess it stands to reason if the person next to you is the one that you want to be paying for things, pull around the other side. It's kind of like a gas tank. If it was beer and cigarettes and I was driving, it was always the other side. (laughs) So that's dairy barn for you. Yeah. Which we don't have. We have one. I guess there's one in Huntington. There's one in Syosset, but it's it's seen better days, you know? Um, oh, by the way, speaking of Syosset, uh, I was just at one of these, where was I? I was at some barbecue yesterday, and uh, or the day before, and they brought pistachio, uh, what, is it, what was that thing? Oh, flying saucers ah. from Carvel. So I launched into this whole spiel about, oh, it's so hard to get uh, pistachio, um, flying saucers and I can never get it. And I went there one time and they had, and the guy's like, he looked at me like I was crazy. <laughs> what are you talking about? The, the fridge they is full always, of them. He, yeah. That's what he <laughs> said. He goes, they always have them. And I, and I know they don't cause I look every single time. Yeah. But you go and, to Oyster Bay. Right. Then he revealed that the one that has it is Syosset. Yeah. So that's where we have to go for our pistachio flying saucers. I can never go to that Carvel. Do you know why? why? No. Because we went in there, like, I don't know, it had to be like five or six years ago now, and they had some teenage like boys working there, mm. and my wife was watching one of them just scratching his nuts before he started making ice cream for everybody, so that's it. It's over. That'll do never, it. Never, never again. Uh. That place used to be owned by my wife's, one of her best friend's family owned that Carvel all throughout Christine's growing up up until about 10 years ago. Yeah. So when we always used to go there, you know, when I first started dating Christine, she'd be like, oh, let's go to Danielle's Carvel. They call her Danielle Carvel. And then they, uh, so that must have been interesting. Yeah. The one on that corner right there. But that guy made a mint. Yeah. With that Carvel, it's like, that's a good business. It's a good franchise. I mean, the guy who owns it in in Oyster Bay over there is like, I don't know. He's he's like... He's, been, he's Japanese, which is an interesting... Th- I mean, I just point that out because I don't know a lot of Japanese Carvel franchise owners. <laughs> but, yeah, yeah. And he's been really successful. Every time, yeah. you know, you go in, it's packed. Um, he so hires, like, local speak- kids, you know, yeah. to work there, which is nice. You know? And they always have a tip jar with anime on it that says, please donate to our college fund. And one of the kids drew some kind of, like, weird anime thing. Yeah. Yeah, it's pretty cool. But Piss, piss Tash E.O. Piss... Tashio. You can't spell pistachio without piss. Um, the, uh, and I was just going to re- square the circle on Oyster Bay News by noting that our yeah. most famous citizen um, has put his large Center Island mansion up for sale. Billy ah, Joel yeah. is selling his home on Center Island 
for a mere $44 million. $44 million. Yes. And apparently the reason was because he bought the adjoining property to put horse stables on it, but then like the town of Oyster Bay wouldn't give him a variance to keep horses there. So he's going to now take his tax money and move elsewhere. Yeah, well, that that was the reason he opened up that, uh, one of the reasons he opened up the motorcycle museum, basically, in town. Yeah. That is basically, they also wouldn't let him build, like, a, some kind of garage on his property. Like, mm-hmm. there was a certain kind of building he wanted for those motorcycles, and they denied him of that, too. Can you imagine? I mean, the, so he's had it. He's a fucking cash cow for the town. Everybody comes here because they listen to the song Billy the Kid in the 70s. They want to see him riding his motorcycle around town. And mm-hmm. uh, we'll just run him out on a rail. We don't want his yeah. money. We don't, we don't care. Goodbye. That yep. that's, seems to be like local politics in this town. Yeah. Yeah. So that's a shame. I mean, I don't see him so much anymore on his motorcycle. But before COVID, I would see him quite a bit. Yeah. Um, oh, well. Oh, well. So, so much for that. <laughs> it's the end of um, that. Yeah, so do we have any, uh, let's see, do we have monster news? I think we do. Um, I don't uh, have the sheet, though. Do you? So I have a couple of soberversaries, uh, thanks to uh, thanks to Melissa, who has been compiling these so I don't forget them. Um, there may be more than this, but this is on the latest docs. So we have Ryan Y. with One Year Sober. Yay! I mean, this was a huge, That's huge, huge That's a big milestone, one. and we should have canned claps here. So on. congratulations, Ryan. It's been really cool getting to know you on on Discord. And um, what is that? Oh, I, I got you. <laughs> the graduation music. And Melissa Kay, five months sober on May 26th. So congratulations. Congratulations, Melissa. Congratulations, and, Melissa. Yes, and thank you for sharing. Uh, on the uh, on the Discord, which brings me to I forgot to say this episode is also brought to you by Recover in the Middle Ages Patreon, where uh, you can get there at Patreon.com/slash Recovery in the Middle Ages, and we have like a special Discord chat, and we do some video episodes, uh, which should be coming more soon as soon as we get our shit together. Which, <laughs> which means is, never, <laughs> you're never seeing a video happen. again. <laughs> but there is a bunch that we did on there already, and. You know, I guess, oh, and you get free merch. So there's very special merch that you get after you're a member for three months. If you don't have enough coffee cups or stickers, you can join up. Anyway, what you're really doing is you're just throwing us a couple of dollars because we have to pay for bandwidth and sites and all this kind of internet shit that I don't know anything about. Uh, And this just helps us do that. And honestly, any, any money that we have taken in uh, is sitting in a bank account and we're just trying to figure out, you know, after expenses on the podcast are paid, if we, you know, my thinking is we should donate that to an organization that works with addicts or or alcoholics Mm. or something, because, uh, you know, that's what we're here for. We're not here to make money off of this thing. And, yeah, and, and uh, we never. I mean, the amount we've got in our own pocket. Yeah, yeah this is it's not a money making endeavor, <laughs> it's, but it is, it's a money losing like, operation. We just like it to it, be a money neutral operation. Yeah, and one of my dreams with this podcast was, you know, to help people just by talking about it. And if it ever made money, and we could put that towards, you know, Shatterproof, which is um, now through Grant, we're sort of. Um, doing a lot more, I hear a lot more about Shatterproof. So maybe they're a great organization. Uh, there's always the Dopey Foundation. So maybe uh, send us an email. Where, where do you guys think we should donate? You know, there's harm reduction. Um, 
charities and things. So that could be something we want to donate to. So yes, join us. Patreon.com slash recovery in the middle ages. We did talk early on uh, about taking all the riches we were going to make from this podcast and moving Tens to of a, dollars. a compound in Australia. But yeah, <laughs> you know, it's still, yeah. I do want a compound in Australia uh, for we, now. Yeah. Hey, what time is um? Are we are we getting uh, Liz on nine? Nine o'clock. So okay. I got a uh, email. Do you want to hear it? Oh yes. Okay, it's called Monster sh- email, and I, and I have not cleared this with the uh, the person that wrote in. <laughs> so mostly because I saw it the other day and I got kind of lazy and I haven't responded yet. So maybe I I figured maybe we could just respond on the show. Mm. How's that? I, I won't Good identify idea. the person. Anyway, the title of the email is. I don't know. That's a new word. The title of the email is Scheitzberg. Mike, I'm only on episode 21. I would like to know more about alternative programs to AA. My first rehab was 38 years ago, and I have quit counting rehabs and detox. My longest time of sobriety was five years whenever I lived at the beach in Destin, Florida. I live in Pittsburgh and struggle in this town. Uh, sidebar. I've been to Pittsburgh. I, I understand. Um, <laughs> every year I get... Every year I get close to a year, I relapse. My last detox had two seizures and hallucinated white rabbits, shadow figures out of the corner of my eye, and someone always calling my name, LOL. I looked at it as, hey, I haven't shot dope, smoked or shot meth, smoked crack, done coke, took pills in six years. I just seem to always get stuck with this alcohol thing. I enjoy your podcast greatly. That's why I don't want to jump ahead. I want to hear what you guys have to say. Thanks for having a voice in our age bracket. Rock and roll, R.H. All right. Thank you, RH. Wow, a lot of stuff uh, in there. Thanks for listening. Yeah. So what do you think? What do you think we should advise RH to do if he's looking for alternatives to AA? Um, Well, I'd say listen to the show, but one of the first things... No, um, we're not a recovery program. The legal department says that we are not... (laughs) A recovery we have program. a lot of episodes on different recovery techniques. Yes, we do. Um, a few alternatives uh, that I like. If you're not a meeting maker, you know, if you've heard an AA, meeting makers make it. Uh, so if you're not a guy that likes to, or a woman who wants to go to meetings, I recommend reading a book or listening to This Naked Mind. Yeah. It sounds to me like, um, you know, because this would be a very non-committal intellectual way to start you know, changing the way you think about alcohol, because even though, you know, with the white rabbits and the shadow people, and when you hear something calling your name, typically that's demonic. I would look out for that. Okay. <laughs> um, but, but uh, you know, for me, like you said, it really did all come down to alcohol at the end of the day. I mean, I, I love this one and, you know, uh, you know, my kids are home. So I'm yeah, taking no, it a little yeah. easy here, right, right. <laughs> but uh you know, that was the main thing. So what was great about this Naked Mind, and we have a few shows on that, um, is that it was it started to get me to think about alcohol differently. Mm-hmm. And it like and uh, Mike has talked about that too, and it's sort of the the focus of her book and program. It's that like once you once you pull the veil back on the big lie, talk about a big lie, it's the lie that we've all been taught basically you know what indirectly directly by watching is that alcohol is this wonderful refreshing important part of our lives and celebrations you can't watch football without drinking it you can't go to a 
uh, a brunch without having a drink. And so it really sort of breaks the matrix, if you will. You know, take the red pill. And then once you see alcohol the way Annie, uh, you know, allows you to or, or points you to, you never see it the same again. And, and a lot of people may be just reading that book, but obviously don't stop there. Uh, and then if you could just start there, we'll keep it simple. Start with This Naked Mind. You can listen to it and, uh, and then see what happens. But keep listening to podcasts like ours. The thing about This Naked Mind uh, is that it will bring you to the realization that the things that you think that alcohol are, are doing for you are not actually doing those things. Yeah. It, you, if you drink to relax, if you, if you drink because you, you, you think it uh, um, takes away problems, whatever, it does none of those things. And in fact, it exacerbates all those things. It exacerbates anxiety, it exacerbates depression. So, um, you know, when I, when I started reading that book, I remember something at the beginning of the book and some testimonials. People were like, I read this and I never wanted to drink again. And I was like, what a bunch of horseshit, you know, right. I've read any number of books and, um, that have promised that. And none of them actually ended up, uh, doing that except for this naked mind. When I was at the end of that book, I really, now I had the desire to stop and it sounds like you do too, RH based on what you're saying. Um, but, uh, at the end, when I got to the end of that book, I really, it changed my way of thinking. It's, it's basically some cognitive behavioral therapy that shifts the way that you perceive the benefits and the negatives of alcohol, and you will think differently about it. So I can't recommend that enough. Nat's right. Listen to this show because you're on episode 21. We go through a whole bunch of other um, yeah. programs and things, and, and we take a look at them, you know, from a from a what I think is an objective perspective, you know, we're not overly uh, into it. And we're not overly critical of it, except for this naked mind. I'm, I'm, I'm really pro that sort of cognitive behavioral therapy approach. Um, and I think Annie Grace yeah. does a great job. Uh, if, if we're talking about other podcasts you could listen to, I would suggest recovery elevator is a good one. Uh, we had Paul yeah. Churchill on, if you could find that episode, you know, he's, the, he's the sort of uh, the driving force behind that podcast and that's helped a lot of people we have a lot of people um in this podcast who uh also listen to that one and and are members of of cafe re which is the which is the group of like-minded people who participate in recovery elevator um yeah so or you know if you want join um our patreon join the discord here and you'll find plenty of support from people that yeah. have, take alternative approaches so so yeah thank you for writing yeah Lots out there. So what do we got? Like 15 minutes? Why don't you, why don't you tell us a little bit about your booze oh, cruise the, this weekend? The booze cruise. <laughs> you know, and it sounds funny when it comes out of my mouth, too. Like, uh, I feel like Dave uh, from said. Dopey was texting me about the show or something, his show. And I was on my way there. And it, without thinking, I just wrote, hey, I, I can't talk right now. I'm on a booze cruise. You know, And then I thought to myself, hmm. Maybe that, I mean, it just didn't sound right. Why am I so okay with this? Well, so here's what happened. Um, my little guy, Max, my nine-year-old, has a lot of these friends. He's a kid with a lot of friends, which is sort of new to me. Um, but they all seem like nice kids. But their parents are actually nice people, and they're all from out of town. They moved here. They're transplants from Queens, so they're like a different, you know, they're a lot more down-to-earth than some of uh, the others. 
mm. that we've met, you know. So um, we've been getting to be friends with them, and my wife is very friendly with them. They're good people, much younger, than, well, not much, but around six years younger than us. So they're sort of on their first nine-year-old, whereas, you know, like with you and me, you already had older kids and I yeah. had the younger kids. So it's sort of like a different – they're in a different mindset, but they're nice people. And uh, and so for one of their birthdays, the uh, one of the dads, the mom plans this uh, – it's like a booze cruise. It's one of these pedal boats, a party boat. And um, Wait, I called you have to it a pedal the boat? Well, it's not really a booze cruise. I call it that kind of mockingly, but – it's it's really just a pedal boat. And you don't really have to pedal either. I don't know what the point of it is. And it looks like on this boat, there are like those bicycle exercise bicycle pedals. <laughs> okay. And, but there's still motors on it. It doesn't make any sense, you know. So when you first get on, uh, they tell you, okay, everybody get in your seats and start pedaling. Nobody moves. Everyone just keeps drinking. And the boat moves anyway. Um, <laughs> but it was cool. It was like a, it was a surprise party. How big was and, this boat? I'm sorry. Uh, I, 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 fit, a booze cruise, yeah. in my recollection, is you, you go on the boat. There's a band. There's an open bar. You get messed yeah. up. People throw up over the side. And then a few hours later, you try and find your way home. This apparently, was, there's an exercise yeah. component to it. You show up. You sit down. And they yeah. make you pedal for your, for your booze. It's sort of a weird thing. I guess when I call it a booze cruise, it's a bit of hyperbole. It's really a pet, a, a pedal boat party boat that they have at a Huntington. Okay. So more than likely, I mean, it's not. I mean, there was shots being passed around, drinking games. There was a hostess. Um, and when I first realized, I'm like, I cannot get out of this one. Um, it's important to my wife. Uh, having a relationship with these people is important to me too. They're Max's friends, parents. They're nice people. And, uh, and so I really just had to make a decision at some point. And one of the good things, the reason I am comfortable is ever since I've met them, you know, for the last few years, I've told them every single time we go out, Nat's the guy that doesn't drink. Nat can be the, you know, uh, you know, like literally they all know there's no surprise. Mm -hmm. Uh, and so it's kind of my thing. I'm the guy that doesn't drink. Yes. It's annoying. And yes, I don't love to be around lots of boozing but i'm a big boy and i'm not tempted that's for sure it gives me a chance to allow my wife to have normal quote-unquote relationships with people whose lives don't revolve around not drinking they're all relatively responsible types you know um if do some of them have a drinking problem <laughs> so far they are i don't know yet you know like i'm trying not to look at everything that way and um it was a very nice night and for all of us though uh in our, you know, mid forties, I'd say, two hours with a blasting music on a drinking boat was like two hours too much. Like it could have been forty five minutes, but by the first hour, we were all looking at each other like, "Uh, okay, when is this? How long is this gonna go?" That's interesting. But everybody had a lot of fun, and uh, you know, I was able to drive the couple of couples home, and um, you know, I. I'm glad that I was able to do it. And, you know, at some point I have to try and give my wife some kind of a normal life where she's not constantly trying to avoid uh, events with alcohol, you know, and to be honest, it doesn't really bother me. I was more annoyed that I couldn't watch wrestling um, <laughs> and that night. So uh, it was a lot of fun. No crazy things happened. There was a lot of, 
you know, I had a, a lot of opportunities to use my drinking, not drinking shtick. The right. bartender comes over or the party lady and she's got this roulette wheel with shot glasses on it. And you call, you know, red or black and she spins it. Some of them are water and some of them are shots. And I use the, she goes over to me to get it. And I said, no, no, I can't drink. I'm allergic. And when I drink, I break out in handcuffs. Oh, yes, handcuffs, that old saw. Handcuffs. Yeah. But they've never heard it. So I got a big laugh. She ha 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 moved on to the next one. And by the next time they had some kind of drinking game, she was on her little bullhorn. I mean, this was ridiculous. Uh, it was like a total like bachelor party atmosphere, but not that bit. And she's just like, okay, you drink. And then she's like pointed to me and goes, you don't drink. <laughs> moved on to the next and then all night long, when people were looking for drinks, I had my little, uh, I had a cooler that I brought, and I called it the sober bar. Mm. And inside, oh, I that's had a good strategy. I had root beer, I had uh, iced tea, and I had Coca Cola. And so I would, <laughs> I had it with me. And when I saw people looking for drinks, I do some shtick. I'd be like, what can I get for you? I'm like, I got mug root beer, <laughs> you know? And, yeah. and every time they were looking for a drink, I'd like overtly like try and push sober drinks on them right right it was like kind of funny it actually was, it was shtick i just turned the whole thing into shtick everybody had fun nobody got hurt um if you are still like really struggling with cravings and things i don't recommend going on these types of things yeah booze cruise um, probably in the early days of sobriety not not the best idea um yeah i avoided these things like the plague for the first three and a half years uh and the last three years when i was unsuccessfully trying to get sober. Uh, but I'm feeling like it says in the big book, you know, once you have that white light experience, once you're on the other side, once you are recovered with an ED, you're free to go anywhere you like. Yeah, it's, it's, it's like having a magic spell or something. Um, so it sounds like you are, were completely okay with, with it. I was irritated on your behalf uh, when I heard about your evening. And <laughs> perhaps it's our age difference or something like the 10 year swing between you and me. It's like, I don't just don't want to go anywhere, regardless of yeah. it being a booze cruise. You know, I, I'll go out and do stuff with my wife who is not, you know, a booze cruise cruiser type. In any rate, no, she's a classy know, she's, wine at a restaurant. Yeah, drink. well, she's more like a um, she's more of a homebody. You know, we both are, right? And and I wasn't, of course, in my drinking days. I would have gone to that booze cruise like 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 crazy. But you know, I, I started thinking, you know, when I when I heard about you know you you going and everything, and and I and I get like everything you said is totally legit, man. Like you know, you do want to you want to you guys are a little younger. You want to give your wife a good night out and stuff. It's like for me, like I look at it like, damn, like because I'm the sober guy, do I always want to be like the designated driver? Do I always like want to feel like I'm obligated to babysit the, the drinking people? And, yeah. and, and, you know, I don't know. I just, I, I didn't quit drinking so I could do shit like that. You know what I mean? Um, and maybe that's like, maybe because you, you guys are a little younger and your wife, you know, is a little more social than, than me or my wife. Like that's, that's your paradigm and that's cool. I just, I can't imagine doing it. It's not because I wouldn't, I would have worry about my sobriety. I just, ugh. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah, I, it's just, I, I can't. And I'm, I could easily go that way. And I do f kind of feel that way under the skin. So it was one of those things like I had to kind of for, it wasn't that easy for me to, you know, to go out and put that hat on, you know, like yeah. I really didn't want to. And 
Well, I don't know. I, I just feel like I got to go to a bachelor party in the in a weekend in a couple of weeks, and I'm like just dreading the whole thing because not that I'm worried I'm going to drink. I'm not going to. I, I know this. I'm not going to be tempted to. It's but I'm going to be around a bunch of you know people in their 30s that are there for the express purpose of getting fucked up and. To me, that's just like the idea of that is just so unpleasant. Uh, and and I will make Bachelor the best of it. You know what I mean? I will, and it's a bunch of cops too. So like Jesus, um, oh God, I will. Um, I will. <laughs> cops and prison guards. It's. Uh, wow. I'll do it. You know, I'll be fine with it. And and you know, Aaron has sort of graciously said that for that week, and uh, I I just she would just like me there Saturday into Sunday because it's actually going into Monday. So I will come back on, on Sunday. Whose bachelor party? It's her sister. Her sister's. And they're having a couple's bachelor party, which I think is the most ridiculous idea I have ever heard. Um, because the very essence of a bachelor party is that the other party is not there. But um, So the women are going to go off and, and go to the spa, and the men are going to go play golf or go shooting something. Um, so... That's that's the thing. But I'm not looking forward to it. But I don't know. Quick, yeah, that's, it is I what, what it is, mean. right? I, I'm, uh, parties but, are rough. But, you know, like like you, I'm just going to suck it up and do it, even though I don't want to. <laughs> right? Well, that's a lot of things in life, right? But nobody right. better ask me to drive drunk people around. Because I, I kind of draw the line there. Like, you want to you drink? Drink. But, you know, you figure out the consequences of that on your own. Like, don't rope me. Don't make me stay till the end of the party because you think I'm going to drive you home. Fuck that. Right, right. Like, nope. When when I was leaving, I definitely, I'm leaving when we're leaving. And if you need a ride, it's right. probably safer. But yeah, you're not staying till the end. Yeah, just to drive these idiots no, home. No, that's no. why God invented Uber. I'm not. I'm not an Uber driver. No. Well, I don't. That it wasn't bad. It I don't see. Bad, so. uh, I don't hmm. see Liz yet, and we got a couple minutes. I alluded to a story on the Discord. I ben, I took Ben, I took the boat out on Saturday for the first time uh, oh, cool. this season, sort of a shakedown cruise, and I brought Ben out with me, and we did a little fishing, and I, I caught a sea robin, and he didn't catch anything, but it was nice just to be out on the water. I spent some quality time with my youngest. Um, yeah, that's awesome. But it, but you know, it reminded me of like a couple of years ago, and and Charlie on Discord, I, I, I promised I would tell this story. Um, so... I'm like a new COVID boater, right? Like I got a boat during COVID because I figured there would be, you know, everything would be shut down. We needed something to do that summer. I guess the summer of 2020. Uh, so I ended up, I ordered the boat. I don't get it until the end of the summer. I take it out for the first time. Uh, coming back to the dock. Um, I don't know if you ever tried to dock a boat. Um, yes, I have. It's a nightmare. <laughs> yeah. So I'm very new at this. I'm pulling up to the dock in Oyster Bay and I can't get the, because I'm on the wrong side of the dock. The wind is blowing the boat away from the dock and I should have been on the other side, but there was this giant boat on the other side. So I'm all freaked out and the kids are in the wife are on the boat. So I pull the boat up to the dock and I get what I think is close enough. So I step one foot onto the dock and I still have one foot on the boat. And then the boat starts to drift away from the dock and my legs <laughs> start spreading wider and wider until... Inevitably, I fall in the water no, between the boat fell? and the dock. Yeah. And so there's this bigger <laughs> boat on the other side of the dock, and there's a guy in his lawn chair kind of catching some sun, and his daughter's like, 
daddy, can you help those people? You know, as my boat is like turning sideways and sort of drifting up to the shore. So uh, he gets up and he looks over and he kind of rolls his eyes and he and he's, he yells to Aaron, hey, throw me that rope, you know, because there was like a rope in the back that, so Aaron throws him the rope, which was not tied Connected. to my boat in any way. So he, she just throws him a rope. <laughs> And uh, he just uh, uh, at that point he's like I don't know what I can do for you so uh, I, but I, so I'm in the water and I I'm holding on to the boat trying to push the boat towards the dock and eventually I managed to do something like that and and Jack ties the rope off in the back and the guy gets the rope and we get the boat but but that was the kind of thing that um, that happens when you don't know what you're doing and you buy a boat. <laughs> and I was reminded of it this past weekend because um, I'm back in the boat down the ramp and um, I'm like jerking the car back and forth to try and get the boat off. I had taken the straps off the back and what I didn't do was disconnect the front part. So <laughs> there's, an, there's another guy standing on the dock kind of watching me with this puzzled look on his face. And so then I try to release the winch, but because I've been jam trying to jam the boat off, it's really tight and I can't release the winch. So I pull the boat up to try and uh, release the pressure on the winch. <laughs> but there was a line that was tied from the back of the boat to the dock. So it snaps the rope and the guy's like, do you need some help? And I'm like, fuck, I, it, like three years later, and I still can't get the boat in, the, in and out of the water without some old Italian man helping me at the dock. So anyway, well, that was wow. That was the none of this makes me want to get a boat. You know, Chris and I from uh, the op the opening song to the podcast, yes, a band called Kind of Me. And so, um, Chris and I were ah um, oh, crap. I'm getting a call from work. Okay, and back from that edit. Okay, so, I did get a call from work. The only re I don't usually pick up when it's from work, but when I have there's an active session today. Yes, oh yes. It's all good, Stop. man. Stop it, you do. And so uh, Liz, Liz did call. Um, yes. So I'm going to call her back, okay? And okay. then we can put her on the air. Let's see. Right. I have to do this with the phone. So here's the number. And now I'm going to call on the phone. Let's see. Oh, shit. Okay. Hi. It's Liz. It's Queen Liz it's, of Munster Haven. It's Mike and Matt. Hi. I was all set up with my shirt and my coffee mug for the <laughs> video part. It's all right. So I'm bummed. Okay. The thing is, we don't look great. We never, uh, we never end up releasing the video anyway because nobody watches it. So, oh, oh I know. <laughs> but I, I, I watch it. I wanted you guys to see me with my merch. Uh, we appreciate that. That's awesome. Um, are you there? Did we lose Liz. Did we lose you? Hello. Hmm. I think she hung up on her you know did you ever do that no, no, no she's there oh, she's here okay wait let me play the new let me play the jingle hold on okay that's the new jingle for the meet the monster segment i uh that's, that's meet the monsters. 
Well, we need a good intro too. Like now it's time for Meet the Monsters with Mike and Nat. Yeah, I don't know. I didn't have much time to throw that together, so I just took that off of the uh, the free uh, the free copyright free music set, uh, website. So, so this is like Queen Liz's first uh, appearance on the show, right? That's correct. Wow, uh, awesome! It's so great to, to get you on. We used to get I used to get to see you when we had our Sunday meetings, uh, which was a lot of fun, and I. I pray someday we will get it together enough to have our video meetings again. The Zoom meetings were great. So thank you so much Those for coming were, on. They us. were good. Thank you for inviting me. We, uh, we figured this, this new segment, we would uh, take some of our most loyal listeners and give them the opportunity to come on the show and talk a little bit about their journey and uh, you know where they're at and how they found RMA and, you know, just, about your life a little bit, stuff like that. So, uh, who is Queen Liz of Monster Haven? <laughs> Everyone wants to know. Okay, and you can edit anything out, right? If I say well, something inappropriate, <laughs> that's, we, we're hoping for inappropriate. That's, <laughs> that's the stuff yes. that stays in. Yeah, yeah okay. if, if, if you need something edited, cool. just, yeah, yeah, you, you could just let, let us know, know if you want something out. Okay. Um, all right. So. Um, I think the uh, the only curious thing about me in my journey uh, towards sobriety is why would anybody stop drinking when they're 72? You know, mm. may as well just go out, you know, with a bottle. Um, <laughs> but I was basically a um, stay-at-home, two-bottle-of-wine drinker, and I'm small, and that was a lot. And I, you know, I didn't get loud and go to bars and pick up guys and crash my car and get DUIs. I just like passed out on the couch every night and woke up feeling like shit every day. And I felt like shit most of the day until about four or five. And then it was time for more alcohol. And it was a really horrible way to live. And, um, I have a lot of health issues, and it wasn't doing those any good. And uh, I just, but basically, I just was just tired of feeling like awful. And um, many, many times, as we all have, you know, I I stopped. Um, but then, you know, 24 hours later, uh, I couldn't do it. And um, this this time, since I've um, been listening to you guys, this was the only time I really stopped. And I just woke up one day and I said, I can't do it anymore. And I haven't done it since. And that was almost two and a half years ago. That's awesome. Wow. That is so hard to do. And people have asked me that too before. I mean, as far as a lot of people get to their 70s that I've met, uh, and I have met some in, in recovery who, you know, turn it around and there it does happen, but it's extremely rare. Because alcoholics don't usually live that long, for one. And two, like you yeah. said, you get to a certain point and you're like, what is the point? You know, uh, it's the same thing with people who, who like on your deathbed, you know, would you take a drink type of thing? And, and yeah. by, I, I wouldn't. And some people say, well, what's the point? And it's like, well, you just want to be able to live your life to the fullest and feel your best every day. What's the difference if you're 70 or 20? You know, my grandfather lived to 99 years old, you know, 
Um, there's a yeah. lot of life to live, and it's so great that you could see that and, and then make that change. Yeah, and one thing you guys will see, I mean, I know, Nat, you're in your 40s. Um, Mark, you're in your 50s. And it's just, you're the same person. You're just in an older body. But yeah. you want you know, you want to have fun and you want to have friends and you want to hike. And it really sucks that you can't hike as far or as fast. But, you know, I'm like the same person I was in my 20s that's terrified to go to a party or an event. And alcohol smoothed away. And it, since high school, when I was going to college mixers, and I had my first beer from a keg, and it was like, oh, I can chill. I was always this bundle of anxiety. And finally, I found something to make it stop. And I used it. And they, I don't know if they say this in AA, but they say this in Smart Recovery, that you kind of found a way to maybe save your life or um, enable just living. Um, you know, that, that was, you know, that was your, I don't know what the word is, but, um, yeah, it's like, my, a, my, yeah, it's like your coping mechanism that, that, yeah. um, that the alcohol actually without it, you may have actually just not been able to, to live at all. So, so that's exactly, exactly the word and exactly right. Yeah. Uh, it's interesting to me, you know, now that I'm, you know, hitting on the other side of 55, uh, Liz, that like. It really is true. Like when you're young, you look at older people and you think that, oh, you know, there's, there's no, there's no like way you could identify with anybody who's like 40 years older than you. And then you get older and you realize that, you know, while your body physically changes, you really are the same person inside and and just like an older package, you know, you know, and that was really sort of eye opening to me, you know, um, but, you know, because every once in a while, I still wonder, like, when am I going to grow up? Like, when am I going to become an adult, you know? Why grow up, Peter Pan? It's not, it's not I fun. I know. I know. I mean, that's why, you know, I got my on my rollerblades last week. And, you know, me and my girlfriend went out. And I know people thought, who are these two old ladies on rollerblades? Um, <laughs> but, you Which? know... I was just talking to my wife about this. Um, we were wondering what happened to all the rollerblading. Like, roller <laughs> it was really big in the 90s, and then all of a sudden it disappeared. I know, oh, and it's pair. such... Um, yeah, you should get them out because it's such a great workout for such a small investment. And I started rollerblading because I was a downhill skier, mm. and I thought, what, what can I do to stay in shape in, you know, in the summer to keep my legs um, strong? And so rollerblades fit the bill and like I said it's a great workout but you know um, Mark you mentioned one time your mother-in-law showed up on her boyfriend's motorcycle and she's in her 70s and I'm like yeah you know I mean it's just that's just the way it is so um, so uh, you know I'm I'm just like you guys (laughs) (laughs) and and the the rest of the the monster community but um, so I was sober curious, and um, there was a big article in the Boston Globe right around COVID time, um, which COVID just gave me license to absolutely go crazy. Um, um, I've always just wanted to stay home and lay on the couch and drink, so that was like even more 
uh, it was almost encouraged. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, so I started reading about sober curious events and books and whatever. I didn't really know about podcasts. And, um, you know, I came across Annie Grace. Mm. And um, I, guess, I guess right in the middle of discovering podcasts and books, I stopped drinking. But I started listening to Annie Grace, and I heard the episode where Mark was on, which was fairly early in my recovery. And I always thought I survived the biggest trauma in the world. Both of my parents passed away five weeks apart and I'm an only child and wow. And what about you though? Wow. (laughs) This this is worse. This guy survived that. (laughs) And that just blew me away. It just really did. And I said, well, you know, I know his, you know, you mentioned you have a podcast recovery in the middle ages and I figure, well, it's probably just for middle-aged guys, but maybe I'll listen. <laughs> <laughs> and I started listening and I was hooked. And so I went back and listened to every episode and, you know, the rest is history. It was oh, awfully nice. So of, great. It was awfully nice of Annie Grace to allow us, to, uh, allow me to plug it. <laughs> frankly, um, oh yeah, yeah, well, you know, it's funny, you know, the, from the outside, like the way she sort of styled the um, the podcast, like a life of trauma, you know, and and you know, you really I, sold it you as know? A, as a person just living that life of trauma. Like I, I don't live like in the conscious day to day, like feeling that it's been a traumatic existence. You know, there's certainly, I mean, if you live long enough, trauma happens, you know, you will, you will lose people that you love. And, you know, I mean, ultimately all of life is very transitory and impermanent and, you know, you have to sort of roll with it, but it it, it occasionally occurs to me when I meet people for the first time who, who heard about the, the kind of stuff I went through that, um, you know, that really freaks people out, like to hear. (laughs) And while I've sort of, you know, in 16 years, you know, I've gone by since, uh, since my wife passed away and, you know, I've certainly been able to put it in, in a, you know, stitch it into my timeline and stuff. But, but people who do hear about it for the first time get kind of freaked out um, by it. I I noticed. Um, But I I don't know. I I just, I, I see, I mean, everybody's got their their traumas. Some are big, some are small. Some that would seem small to some people, you know, are big to to those people, you know. And and I mean, trauma is at such the such at the root of of, of a lot of you know addictive behavior. And, you know, yeah, I, but I, you weren't here. Here's just something I was thinking about, uh, Mike. That uh, you know, talking about trauma and the loss of a loved one or your parents. I mean, that's something I I you know, stay up at night, you know, recently, because my parents are aging, they're very healthy. But you know, I think about this, you know, how will I stomach that kind of um, that kind of grief, that kind of trauma. But the difference is like in my life, um, my trauma, you know, from my perspective is self inflicted, a lot of what I went through, like the big stuff was self inflicted. It's almost like for me to cope with my seemingly less traumatic, you know, uh, trauma, if you will, I, in response to less traumatic things, I created more trauma. And so it's got to be different, like when it just kind of happens to you, right? When like uh, someone passes away, it's not really something you've done to yourself. Mm. So I don't know, like how, how does that change the calculation or, or does it, or does it matter? 
Yeah. Oh, it matters. And I wonder yeah. about you, Nat, because, you know, it sounds like you had this nice, affluent, educated upbringing. Mm. What the hell were you thinking that, you know, I mean, I've done, right. you know, I've done, I've done coke, um, but what were you thinking putting a needle in your arm and doing all this shit? <laughs> well, I never went that far, but <laughs> no, no needles, but still, it was just as bad. Right, but this was what I mean, we used to talk about. Shit. Like, why? Right. Yeah. So I, I spent but- a lot of a lot of the last several years trying to get to the bottom of that. Um, you know, I, I remember having these conversations with doctors and things like something must have happened. They used to say, "You're just suppressing it," you know. And so I spent a lot of time digging deep, trying to find this, you know, imagined trauma. Or and at the end of the day, I think. Part of what we've talked about on the show is how it's it's a maladaptive coping mechanism. And certainly right. I was coping with, you know, anxiety, nothing like horrific. But I guess from my perspective going through it, this was devastating. And that's just, I guess it's all in uh, your perspective, you know. I mean, it could so start with hard. something as simple as anxiety and you're just having a few yeah. drinks to get to, to get over the anxiety. And then that sort of feeds on itself. And then the next thing yeah. you know, you're, you know, you're snorting heroin (laughs) i don't know right you know (laughs) sometimes it feels like there's a hierarchy too when i first got into the rooms and things like that i would hear about these horrific traumas people went through to get to the same seat essentially i was sitting in and for a while i felt like man i do not belong here and it took me a long time to allow myself to say you know what i need this too and it's okay for Mm -hmm. me to to need help here and um, yeah, so it's interesting how, you know, people are always keeping score, or at least for myself, I would keep score. He's gone through that. He's gone through that. And I never went through that. So I can't need the same kind of help. And uh, yeah, it's an interesting, um, you know, we all take different routes down the uh, valley of pain, I guess. Liz, let me ask yeah. you a question. Um, so you listened to, to me on Annie Grace and the, had you stopped drinking at that point? Yes. And, yes, and so for a month or two, ha- had you found smart recovery yet? I'm not sure. Probably right around the same time. And um, did you did you find smart recovery to be like a huge help? Well, huge, huge, because I thought I've got to go somewhere. We're not just listen to podcasts and read books. Where can I go? And the only place I knew of was AA. Mm-hmm. And I, a lot, when I, I was in Manhattan in the seventies and, um, I, I mean, I lived there for a couple of years and I went to OA meetings because I had a food issue. And then, uh, more recently I went to Al-Anon cause, uh, my ex was an alcoholic. Mm-hmm. They all have been, but, um, <laughs> and I did not like that 12 step Bullshit. Right. It, I mean, sorry. It just, um, you can delete that. It just wasn't for me. Um, and, uh, it, Tell it, it like it is, sister. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, I, heard, I found Smart Recovery just because I was looking, I, I found a lot of things on Zoom, but I wanted something live. And so I was Googling like live alcohol meetings, Boston. And I found Smart Recovery right up here in Quincy, which um, I think, Matt, you said you have relatives in Braintree, just like mm-hmm. 20 minutes from my house. Yeah, Aunt and, Ruthie. Yeah. And uh, 
so I thought, all right, I'll go. It's going to be like this church basement with, you know, a bunch of like weirdos that aren't like me. <laughs> <laughs> and I go in there and there's this guy named Matt who's about my age and he's a facilitator and he's this awesome guy. And it's in this really nice community center that's like clean and welcoming and it has all these other activities, you know, yoga and meditation classes and food and, you know, it's a community center. And, um, it was just great. The people were great. And I introduced myself and, uh, I, I've gone every single Thursday since, uh, you know, unless I'm traveling. Um, so yes, smart recovery has been huge and it, it, what it stands for, I'm sure, you know, is self-management and recovery training and the self-management part is I don't need a higher power. I can manage my life with these tools and they, you know, they have tools like, you know, like a cost benefit analysis. If I drink, what's going to happen if I don't drink, what's going to happen, blah, blah, blah. Just, you know, logical things. But most of it is just the community and the interaction and the sharing, which, you know, we have that on Discord, which is really good. But being in person, that, that really helped me. Yeah, it's, it's sort of the antithesis of AA in terms of, you know, you don't, there's no admission of powerlessness because um, the very basis of a cognitive behavioral therapy-based uh, modality is that you have, do have the power to change yourself, right? Right. Yeah. Yeah, and I do. Willpower. And that's the well, no, no, I, 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 I don't think is, I don't think it's willpower necessarily. Yeah, I don't know about that. This is what they call it in AA. I'm sort of being facetious because when I was, and you may have found this too in, in AA, taking your will back or doing for yourself is like the opposite of what they're telling you to do. The first thing mm. you're supposed to do is admit you have no power, mm. give it over to God. And this does work for some people, but you know, there's a lot of people like 15% of the who, people. Right. So, but there's like uh, of the person who wrote, we read an email as uh, just before you came on at someone, you know, they're just trying to get sober and you know, they started listening and they wanted to know like, what are the alternatives? People really don't realize it. And so I'm glad actually that, you know, we're talking about smart recovery now because, you know, for, as far as RH, the person who wrote us, smart recovery really worked, you know, for Liz. And it's, um, it's a much different approach. It's a cognitive, behavioral, and, you know, intellectual. Uh, and it works for a lot of people. We love, uh, I, I think smart recovery is great and it, and it worked for Liz. Yeah. I think it's great. And, but, and, and I think that, the bottom line is the connection, you know, with, yeah. with, yeah, the being other. with people. And that's the original yeah. Dr. Bob and Bill W. If we go back to the founding of AA and, and what started the whole thing, it's one alcoholic talking to another one. And so at, at yeah. the root of all of these, I think it's the connection that really matters. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. But um, the connection, you know, with especially the meetup, hopefully at least one of you will come to San Francisco. But when I met Grant in Boston and when I met Grant and the other folks in Orlando, it was it was just amazing. It was really it was really nice. I'm so jealous. It's so funny. Like it's it's a <laughs> I feel like I, I, I want to do that. It sounds so cool. The Monsters and, and Liz are 
planning these monster mashes and meetups. And uh, when is that? November? That's yeah, a Veterans Day weekend. Oh, yeah, man. November 11th. I would 11th. love to get to that. Tickets to I mean, uh, San, San Francisco are relatively inexpensive right now. Yeah. They are. It's yeah. just, you know, I understand you both have families and it's not that easy. Whereas I just tell my husband I'm leaving and, you know, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, if I did that, it would be a very, uh, very bad result. But, you know, we, it can be done. And that's one of the things I'm trying to, to do more of, even though I have all these obligations. It's doing more things for myself. You know, put the mask, the oxygen mask on yourself first. But, yeah, it's so great that, you know, you're, we can get together and have that community. And, uh, and I feel like it's going to get better and better as, you know, as the show grows and people get to know each other. And hopefully, hopefully it keeps growing and we can help more people. It's been a lot of fun. Yeah, I mean, you guys do so much. And it's not, you know, like Paul Churchill, it's his full-time gig and Annie Grace hers you know you guys have big jobs and lives and families so we all appreciate very much every moment that you give us we, yeah, we, we appreciate it anybody yeah. listens to this at all so. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but this is you can't get this anywhere else like as far as i mean i've met so many people in in recovery who will be in their 20s even early 30s and they say it's over for me my life is over i've actually had you know people have said this to me in their 30s i have nothing wow. left you know and you go what are you talking about we've got you know in my late 30s i got it you know mike got it in his early 50 were you 50 yeah yeah and you're 50 and then there's queen liz of monster haven just making it happen and your life is not over until it's over. Like if I'm still breathing, there's a chance, and and you're an example of that. For, I, I want to know. I want to know, Liz. Like what? What was it about? Like that one day where you sat up and said, "You know what? Enough is enough." Like what? Because you know th that stuff is so ingrained, and and I found that you know after decades, it was really hard for me to break out of those old patterns. You know, and and you know. Add like two plus more decades on that. Like th those grooves in your in your psyche are so deep. Like that whole like, uh, um, you know what's what's the um, that forgetfulness where the night once the night before wears off around four o'clock, you just go at it again, and you can do that for decades. You know, and yeah. what was it about that day that just changed your your mind or it made you your change. spiritual awakening you might say I, I the white light definitely don't want to use that term but I'm, when did I'm, god save you Liz? <laughs> you know i just i wish i could answer it in a meaningful way mm -hmm. and i don't know it was just um in addition to the hangovers it was waking up at three o'clock mm. and laying for hours and hours and hours and that you know contributed even more to the feeling like shit in the morning and it was it was not like a beautiful day it was a it was february 2nd it was groundhog day i went on this little hike with my friend christine who i've talked to multiple times about drinking and you know she has an issue as well not to the degree i did and I said, you know what? We were out in the woods and I said, this is it. Um, I'm just, I can't do it anymore. 
And she said, you know, okay, good, skeptically. And then I remember like a few days later, she said, have you had a drink yet? And I said, no. How many days has it been? Three. And then maybe the following week, 10. And then like a week later, she said, oh, my husband wants to know, have you started drinking again? Mm. No, I haven't. And um, then she stopped asking. <laughs> and I kind of couldn't believe it myself, you know? Yeah. Um, but five o'clock would come and I would just, in my sparkling water or my kombucha or whatever, and I just, you know, physically I started feeling better right away. And I, I probably in retrospect, I some maybe even checked with my doctor because um, they keep saying how, you know, the withdrawal can kill you. Um, but it didn't, I didn't really have any, any, any physical, um, so That's I don't know, um, you know, maybe it was higher power and I just <laughs> didn't know it. But, Aha, um, I knew we'd find God in here somewhere. <laughs> you know, I, I, I like to ask that question about like, what was it? Because I can't figure it out either. Like, in, you know my own situation like i know i had a really bad saturday night in a cabin in upstate new york and then like a million times before that i was like enough you know except this time enough was enough you know what i mean like it, it stuck and i don't yeah. know why it stuck this time you know you were sick and tired if you'll pardon it of being sick and tired yeah, yeah. <laughs> which is what they say all the time you know that's another thing but it's true like if, if you're lucky enough to be able to finally have had enough, because how many last drinks have so many of us had? This yeah. is it. Never again. But when you finally do it, it's, um, you know, you're, you're living the, uh, the, the, the positive effects. You can do more. You know, like for me, all of a sudden, I don't have asthma anymore. Why is that? I mean, my asthma was so bad. I had a nebulizer every day nearly passing out from asthma attacks. I mean, this was only six years ago. And it's not like I got wow. younger. You know, I didn't go back in time. I just, my body healed. So, you know, yep. I stopped pouring poison into it. And, and you know, you see the effects for sure. How do you? Wow, I didn't know that about the asthma. That's, wow. Yeah, that was bad. Sometimes I think back on it and I'm like, I still have a prescribed rescue inhaler sitting in my the drawer of my bathroom just in case because... I used to wake up and, you know, I was in big trouble when I would have those attacks. But it's gone, yeah. you know. Wow. <laughs> so, Liz, what do you say wow. to people who are, you know, in their 70s who are like, why should I do this now? You know, is it is it worth it? You know, how do you answer hmm. that? Um, wow, that's a good question. Uh, nobody's ever asked me that. <laughs> um, I don't know. I, I guess if it's worth it to you, then it's worth it. Yeah. Um, if you can continue on, do you know? I mean, some people don't have hangovers. If you if you're in your seventies and you think that maybe you want to stop drinking, um, think about what your life would be if you continue to drink, and if it's worth it, then there's your answer. Yeah. I don't know. It's really. It, it, 
it's really interesting because you know there was this big article in the Times a couple of maybe a couple of months ago. It was on uh, this Jimmy Buffett based retirement community in Florida, <laughs> and the whole thing oh, is yeah. the whole thing is structured <laughs> around like drinking all day. You know, for yeah, people, know. people in their sixties, seventies, eighties. You know, and I guess yeah. the, the people who survive long enough to consider moving into a a retirement community and just drinking all day. Maybe, maybe they're like the genetic freaks that can just get away with it, you know, and, th- and that's fine. But, um, but to me, that seems like such a diminished way of like living out the rest of your life is like just buying a golf cart and driving to Margaritaville every day. <laughs> I don't know. I just, I could, I just couldn't live like that, you know. I know. I know. Yeah, it does seem kind of. Um bizarre and i know there you know there are a lot of retirement communities in florida and i think uh even uh in in addition to margaritaville i think even if they don't have the name i think there's a lot of alcohol involved it's everywhere it's on you know cruises god um oh yeah cruises is the worst cruises and then there's you know all the mommies at the softball games with their sippy cups Mm. um it's Mm -hmm. just it's just so um obsequious is that the word i don't know but it's everywhere are there are there a Um, lot of people in your social circle um that you associate with that that are still drinking just about everyone Mm. just about everyone and um about 20 years ago this gal started a uh, bike group um you know bikes, not, not motorcycles. And, um, we would all, you know, go on bike rides and travel together and we became friends. And, um, I realized that it was, you know, it was just all about the drinking. Um, and, uh, I'm, I'm really not, I, I won't say I've severed these relationships, but I've really minimized them because getting together just means, consuming large amounts of alcohol and uh, those people are just not so interesting if you're sober and I'm probably not so interesting either you know and I just you're a big bore you just do things you know like (laughs) go for walks you know enjoy the outdoors do things you love without you know being tired all the time (laughs) who would want that you know Um, right it's just they get in such a yeah and that becomes the whole focus of all of the get-togethers and book clubs are really, you know, drinking clubs. Um, exactly, you hear about that a lot. Exactly. Yeah, so. Like Nat, you went on a booze cruise or whatever the other night. Um, yeah. Did you have fun? <laughs> oh yeah. We talked about that on the, on the opening. It was kind of interesting. Uh, it was one of those things that I had to do basically. It was like local families that are the parents of Max's friends and things. And, you know, my, my wife is, wants to have relationships with these people. And, um, and it, so it, it was fun. And, you know, I just kind of used it as an opportunity to flex my sober muscles, you know. And I had fun. Yeah. And I used it as shtick the entire night. So, yeah, it was fine. I don't love to do it. But if I have to, I can get through it and have a good time. Yeah. Do you, yeah. Do you find that, um, you know, in situations like that, Nat, like uh, – you know these people a little bit from whatever sports school and so forth, and then you get out and then they're all drinking and you think to yourself, man, I really wish I could communicate with this person like one-to-one like when they're not drinking because they seem like a very interesting person, but the alcohol is making it 
is is putting a, a distance between us. That's a question hanging in the air for you, Nat. Wait, what was it? <laughs> Say it again. Um, I'm getting. I, I guess. I guess. I, I guess. Ultimately, the question is: Do you? Would you rather be hanging out with the drinking version of the the parents that you you mm. went on the cruise with, or the version of them that you know when they're not drinking? Well, and does it uh, make a difference? Um. Well, for me, I. I mean, I. I would rather be around them, you know, the way I normally would see them. Yeah, for sure. But I also know that it's something that they seem to enjoy doing. and Seem to they, being the operative word. Yeah, I mean, it's not up to me what will make what will make them have a good time. And so right. I, just like we do, it's like meeting them where they're at and just trying to see the person for who they are and trying not to judge them on some of their behavior that maybe it's not okay with me, but... You know, they're still good people. It's when you have someone who turns into like, you know, the Jekyll and Hyde drinkers, Mm -hmm. you know. And so luckily there weren't any of those at these, uh, at it last night. And, um, you know, I just try and go with the flow in these situations. Try not to leave too big of a footprint, you know. I don't take over. I kind of sit back and try and just let the fun happen and not be a a killjoy and just make sure that we get home safe. You mean you're not, you're not... Take, telling the people, what are you doing? You're killing yourself. You're <laughs> no, I don't. Because do some people would do that. <laughs> yeah, you yeah. can't. Do but that. that's no fun. So, uh, yeah, it's not my preference, but I'm trying to go with the flow a little bit. Um, but in any case, I really admire you for that. I I find that I don't enjoy these gatherings with these inebriated people and I, uh, maybe, I'm, you know, I'm, I don't say anything, um, but maybe I just either don't go or I leave early. That's where I'm at. I'm on that team. I don't. I have to, um, I just popped into the car. I hope you don't mind. I have to be at the gym. No, we're good. I think, I think, I think we're going to be wrapped. I think we're going to, Yep, I can hear you. I think we're going to wrap it up because we got to we got to get on to that book review that we're going to do. Um, okay. Yes, we've got a big book review. But we, I, just, I, I had the wrong setting. I just missed like the last thing you said. But you got to go. You got to go too. Yeah, we're gonna we're gonna wrap up this segment of the show, and uh, we appreciate you coming on, Liz. Always, and uh, I I for one hope to see you in uh, San Francisco in the fall. I'm going to make a concerted effort to get out there. Um, yes. I hope you get to Boston too. You know, you've yeah. got to come to Boston on business, one or both of you, right? Yeah, I'll probably yeah, be should. up there at some point. I think I'm going to take my son up there to look at a college or two within the next few months. So I will uh, reach out. Okay, yeah. I mean, even if even if you're with your son, I don't expect you to, you know, spend a lot of time. But I would just pop over to wherever you are just for a quick cup of coffee. Sounds yeah, sounds you know, great. I would really enjoy that. I, I would love it. And can I just say one more thing in addition to thank you so much and all that, and, and I just love the podcast and appreciate you guys. But since I've been sober, I the one big change is I'm just, I'm not going to take people saying or doing mean things to me. I just mm. 
it's just such a huge change. And I, I don't know how you guys feel about this, but I'm just like, I just lashed out at one of my oldest friends yesterday about her behavior. And I just feel my husband said, well, she's not going to change. And I don't care. I just, I'm not going to be treated like that. I'm not going to be talked to like that. I'm not going to be questioned. Anyway, mm. just had to say yes. that. No, that's huge, yeah. Liz, and, and, a, and a great statement from Queen Liz of Munsterhaven. Boundaries. <laughs> Boundaries. Boundaries are, are Thank huge. Thank you so, so much, Liz. Right. Thank you guys so much. I look much. forward to it's seeing you on the Discord. Yes, absolutely. All right. Thanks, Love Liz. Enjoy, enjoy the rest Love of your you day. Too. You too. Bye. 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 And that was Queen Liz from Meet the Monsters. Join us next week for another <laughs> edition and another monster and their story. Thank you. And uh, I think we should be right back after these words. Yes, we'll be right back after these after words. After these words. And we're back. we're back. Yes. And we're back. We're back. I don't and, even uh, know how long the show is right now because I've just been, we had our intro and then the Liz thing, and now we're going to do yeah. this thing. And it's like going to be a monster, I think. But you know what, what if we did this? What if we did this? Because I am sort of, and actually along the lines of, you know, Queen Liz, if you, you know, if you listen before and hopefully you didn't skip to the middle of the show. Um, thank you so much, Queen Liz. You know, she's just a testament to to the RMA lifestyle and <laughs> is this like goop? Do we need to sell like vagina candles now? Well, but you know what made me a little sad uh, from her, uh, from the discussion was she said at first we sort of assumed that we were just like a middle-aged guys, like, I don't know, no women allowed. And it was just a, Oh, a locker you know, room I, sort of thing. Yeah. That is not what we were going for. And thankfully, Partially being on Annie Grace has, you know, has gotten our our show out to people who are not middle-aged men watching football. There's many great women, moms, grandmoms, and just amazing women out there that do listen to, to the show, and they're not all middle-aged men. So really, being middle-aged is a state of mind, and I'm going to be <laughs> middle-aged till the day I die. <laughs> it's a good place to be. You start to, yeah. you really start to lock into your life after 40, I find. Anyway, yep. uh, speaking of middle-aged men watching football, why did you make mm -hmm. me read this horrible, horrible book? I, you, <laughs> I'm sorry. Well, okay. This was one of those things. Like Not, everybody. First of all, let me Chris let me Heron. stop and say this. What? Uh, I've never heard of Chris Heron, but what? Um, How's that possible? It's the book is not horrible. The no. the fact that. I had to read so much about basketball is horrible because I hate basketball. And this whole book was basketball. Well, except yeah, for like really, the small part at the end where he was doing drugs. <laughs> you know, I mean, it's not small. The whole time, you, you know, what I liked about it is, and I'm not like a big basketball fan, but I found it to be. So, Chris Heron, before I go on about this, yes. I know him as a speaker who goes around the country 
He's like a pseudo former, you know, sports athlete, celebrity who ruins his life with uh, with drugs, and you now he's doing a lot of good. You know, even though he basically tanked in ama- what could have been the most amazing career, you know, out there. I mean, it already is playing basketball. Playing basketball, yes. yeah. And uh, the book is Basketball re- Junkie, by the way. Basketball Junkie by Chris Heron and Bill Reynolds. Yes, and it's really the story of. A uh, a blue collar kid growing up in Boston, Fall River, who, Fall River, which is significant uh, because apparently yep. the town of Fall River is known far and wide for its high school basketball team. Whoa. Yes, <laughs> well, but you know how exciting. It's like, I, listen, I felt like an anthropologist because nothing could be further from how I grew up than. You know, it's kind of getting a, a bird's eye view on what it's like to grow up in in this white collar, no, blue collar, white kids, you know, as the minority type of thing, working hard and not really expected to get very far, especially in basketball. And, and basketball is everything. And it reminded me of how these football towns are in Texas. Mm. You know, so I was seeing that parallel where, you know, in Texas uh, and other states too, but high school football is like they have stadiums yes and people are watch their high schools you know more than they'll watch their their pro team or anything else or even college and so it's sort of a parallel it's a parallel universe basically and so i was just endlessly intrigued by this really that was your yeah. that was your reaction was endless intrigue well it's <laughs> nothing could be more alien to me uh tall nor am i a basketball player i didn't grow up in a in a very blue collar neighborhood you know and i never you know scraping to get by and having alcoholic parents i mean he was the quintessential like uh underprivileged not yeah i'd say he was underprivileged to a point and in a town where nobody expected him to succeed basically at anything okay except that this town like is it's an old mill town right near an hour outside of boston and their high school basketball team was like from the 1930s was known for um, being like the best in the state, if not in the country. Right. And was there like tradition? It was like what they lived and breathed. So, so this, this kid, right. He's, he's good at throwing the ball into the hoop and his brother previously was also good at throwing the ball into the hoop. So he does really well in high school. And then there's this author comes and he writes a book about the town of, of um, Fall River and its basketball program. And this book becomes wildly popular uh, among people who read books about basketball programs in small towns. I guess there's a bunch of those people out there because all of a sudden his high school career becomes the subject of intense scrutiny from the world at large as well as Boston media, local media, yeah. right? So there's a lot of pressure on this this kid to achieve. And he's sort of a lackadaisical student. He sort of makes his, you know, wanders his way through high school, never getting good grades or anything, not really caring about that. Uh, but he has a gift, right? And he has sort of like a natural ability to play basketball, even though he's only like six foot one. But I guess if you're six foot one, you do something called being a point guard. Not even sure what that is, but... He's I, like the quarterback of the, uh, of the offense. Is that what that is? Yeah. Okay. They bring the ball up the floor, and then they do the signals, and then they run the plays. And really great point guards, you know, um, you know, like John Stockton, or maybe he was a shooting guard. But in any case, you you have to be smart. 
and to be he was six two from when I oh okay six, six two. one or six two. But he wasn't just here's here's where he separates himself. Why is Chris Heron special? Like you said, they've been the best high school team for years and years and years, right? But they did not produce many guys who could break through, succeed through college, and then even get to not just any NBA team, but the freaking Boston Celtics. So he was sort of like what they used to talk about in uh, in in boxing was the great white hope, and this is sort of, it's very racist <laughs> and all of that. But this was part of you know this was part of sports back then, you know, and he was sort of seen by um, you know a lot of these these the working class Boston uh, people in his town felt like they were being marginalized, like they could do the the high school thing, maybe get into college, but for him to be such a transcendent talent and despite everything that was going against him like only being a six foot two white kid from fall river the fact that it was like one of theirs is making it you know and it was all on his head and he sort of well that's a lot of pressure that's a lot of pressure right and And that's part of i think what drove this whole thing right he was the first um the first from fall river to make it to the nba in fact when he was drafted by the denver uh nuggets Yes, it's right? a huge the deal. Um, yep. In high school, he was named to the 1994 McDonald's All-American team, and he was recruited by just about every recruiter all across the country, but then he decided to go to Boston College, where he did no schoolwork and just drank and did cocaine all the time, failed out of Boston College, and then wound up out at Fresno State under the tutelage of renowned coach Jerry Tarkanian, who apparently has... Took the uh, University of Nevada basketball team to the national championships. And uh, so, but when he gets, this is the part where I thought was kind of interesting. He gets over to Fresno State and he's with a bunch of basically sweat hogs, like all of these players that had issues. Uh, yeah, and that, the bad news bears. Yeah, basically. the bad news bears. Right. So this coach Trell Sprewell, who they, he mentioned, who was like did, a famous right? fellow. And they, there yeah. was an <laughs> awful lot of basketball name dropping. Ninety nine percent of which meant absolutely nothing to me. I, I think I was supposed to be impressed, but uh, you know, I don't know. But he couldn't get his shit under control. Even he, when he was out there uh, in Fresno State, he was going out all night. He was staying out till seven o'clock in the morning. His drug of choice was cocaine and alcohol and. Um, you know, he got expelled from Boston College because he failed drug tests. That's why he left there. And then when he went to Fresno State, he got multiple suspensions because of the drug use. And But despite all of this, despite the fact that this was also relatively common knowledge that anybody could have figured out, um, he gets drafted by the Denver Nuggets in the second round of the 1999 NBA draft. He played one season with the Nuggets, and then he got transferred to the Celtics, right? Now, mm. what somebody went into them when they were talking about whether or not they were going to renew his contract after the first year they went in, to the head office, and they said, you got to renew him because you'd be crazy not to. He's a local kid, white kid with a shamrock tattoo on his arm. Yeah. You know, just the perfect person for... A meet, to be a media personality in Boston, yeah. but in the background, everything was completely falling apart, right? Yeah, completely. And I mean, it's a real story about, I would call him a reluctant, a reluctant basketball player. I mean, he talks a lot about how he didn't really have a choice in his house, but 
to excel at basketball. His brother was this big star. Mm-hmm. And he felt tremendous pressure to try and play basketball. And unfortunately for him, it turns out he was even better than his brother. And it was the snowball effect. And I really felt for him because no matter how far he went, it was almost like, I mean, it was exactly like he was self-sabotaging. That's like he exactly did not what it want was. This. And to put a person in a situation where you're living everybody else's dream mm-hmm. and all and the, the whole hopes and dreams of your family, generations. I mean, it was just way too much for this kid who really wasn't into it to begin with. And then once he, that's, he started to they throw drugs at him and he sought it out. And he began, like you said, many, many times, a maladaptive coping mechanism. I mean, this guy had what people would think was everything, not just opportunity, but, you know, successful shots at opportunity that he continually would sabotage. And and part of that, I just, I felt for this guy, you know, he's just thrown into this, uh, this whole world where, you know, he felt like erroneously, of course, that he didn't have a choice. And so his only way of coping with, you know, everything was he started to use drugs. He started to drink. And uh, sadly, you know, he was married with children and, and then he dragged them all over the world. Well, I mean, he had this guy had like freaky natural talent uh, because his work ethic wasn't really all that good. Um, but he had multiple, multiple opportunities to, um, you know, what, what I thought was interesting was like in the NBA, like you can't really come out and talk to a coach or talk to the front office about the fact that you have a problem like this because the NBA is just a money-making gambling. Too. It's a corporation, right? And if you're not producing, then you're out. And he talks about the sort of the merry-go-round of the NBA. Like if you're, you know, people hop in and they can't handle it after a couple of years and then you're gone and there's always going to be six people, you know, to take your place. But this guy, he had a lot of friends, uh, both inside the NBA and, and all these other basketball organizations. And it was amazing to me is like most people who get go down the rabbit hole of like heroin abuse and so on do not have as many lifelines as this kid was thrown over yeah. the years that he was dealing with his with his with his problems. I mean, people were offering him jobs. People were, yeah. you know, d- offering him a place that his family could he and his family could live. I mean, when, when the Celtics decided not to renew his contract, uh, he went off, his agent got him a job in Italy making $15,000 a month playing like basketball. Yep. And he couldn't, you know, couldn't handle it there. Then he went to China and then he ends up finally, the last stop before he retires, he's playing for 400 people in a gym in Tehran, in, our, in Iran. Yeah. You know? <laughs> like, and and yeah. some yet somehow all across the world, he managed to find drugs in every city like you know china tehran yeah. like where you didn't like those stories i mean I, I thought the story intrigued. i thought those stories were really interesting because they were not mostly about basketball well yeah <laughs> so. and and i've read a few of these books where the guys for some reason ends up in a far flung and there's something about those stories where the person is in a country where they like i this was in uh, scar tissue too with anthony kiedis you know any time you have rock star books mm-hmm. you know what do these heroin addicts do when they're on tour you know and it kind of put me in that like you have to find it you, you have to look for the signals and it, they're putting themselves in these dangerous situations where he's in a cab in tehran and like how do you find the guy with the drugs in those situations you don't speak the language you don't know the culture you're a stranger in a strange land 
but you've got one thing that has to happen every yeah. single day. You've got to feed that monster. And so just to see, and he writes about it. I, I love the way he describes it. It really took me there. How an addict gets himself through. Not only that, he then plays basketball that's games. What I, that's what I really don't get. Back out. The guy is in, uh, he's in like China and or Poland and he's, 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 he can't get his hands on any opiates. So he's, he's getting dope sick. And yet he still wakes up and drags himself to the basketball court every day. So I, I spoke uh, earlier about his his work ethic not being so great, but maybe I, maybe I had that all wrong because it seems like you have to put a colossal amount of effort into into playing basketball under those circumstances. Um, yeah, and if you've ever been dope sick, I mean, you know, I mean, imagine yourself with the worst flu mixed with the most horrible anxiety and panic attack, like simultaneously with you know restless legs and you can't sleep and you're sweating and then you're cold it's like menopause with the flu with you know Jeez. it's just a nightmare and so to get yourself like you threw a basketball game would be a herculean effort and it's just you know and uh and he just keeps doing damage and he put himself through some the shit of all these yeah yeah trauma he didn't need to i mean he did have you know traumatic uh you could say childhood yeah, his father was his father drank too much his parents fought a lot you know it, it seems fairly pedestrian trauma to, yeah, but 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 you know what i i think really that the trauma that this kid experienced it wasn't so much his home life it was it was like all that pressure all those expectations i mean if you're a young athlete living in a community like that i mean he was seen as a future star from the time he was 15 years old. So, yeah. I mean, think of the scrutiny he was under from local community press, the national audience. Every time he fucked up, it was on like the, the front story of, of ESPN. Yeah, they you were – when he would try and make a comeback, the crowds, even when it was just rumors, they would – because his name is Heron. Yeah. So they would call <laughs> heroin, right. you know, the cheering heroin, and they would just – and he talks about how – that it drove him in some senses and it also destroyed him, you know, that he was constantly getting this negative feedback. Yeah. And I mean, it just wears on you. And it reminded me of all of the child star stories that we hear. These little kids, they have too much pressure. They, they get drugs way too easily. Like no matter where Chris Heron went, you know, he was a big you'd hand him stuff or if he had money he could easily you know he tells stories about after he was back home mm -hmm. and he started going to this one drug dealer's house they, they were all big fans of his you're yeah, like up. i have i have your picture up on my wall yeah man. i've got your poster <laughs> he's like, and he's like and once they realized i was just another junkie you know it, you could see the sadness in their eyes they did not want to see their hero like this ah and um and i guess this story would be as horrible and like unbearable as you say it is had he not turned his life into what it is today and i think what he is today and what he's done with it mm -hmm. sort of it puts a, a shade of uh of of pink you might say a pink clout over the whole thing because you know that all of this was just his origin story and he does a lot of good um yeah, he started a ba big basketball camp and he tries to coach kids in a way that they're not um, that they're not really tying their identity and self worth to their sports performance. Even though he's hired as a coach, he doesn't coach that way. And and I, I thought that was really cool. But I, but I think to me, like the big takeaways from this, you know, um, 
are, are a couple. It's like, you know, one, the amount of pressure you put on kids at such a young age is bound to result in problems later on. Um, yeah. Two, like the business side of professional sports prioritizes, you know, winning and making money over the well-being of athletes, right? I mean, yeah. Um, oh, big time. You know, you, know, you don't want to damage. It, how many times do they let it slide? Yeah. Because, well, you, you know, don't want right to damage like a reputation of the team or, or you know, and that discourages them from seeking any kind of, kind of help. And, and maybe if he had been able to reach out and get some help earlier on in his career, he, he wouldn't have ended, you know, playing in, in Tehran at age 32, you know, and that, and that's the end of your career. And like, there's also like such a lack of mental health support for, for athletes, you know, um, oh, yeah. you know, they'll, they'll give him bling and, and jewelry and money and cars and, but without proper mental health resources, like you, you, you have all these guys going to substance abuse. Um, yeah. So. And you hope that these days it seems like mental health care is, becoming more acceptable and less of like you're a wimp and therapies for women or something like that which i have heard over my entire life or what are you crazy and turned into more hopefully it's starting to become something like you go get your physical every year you go see your you, know, you should see your psychologist or your therapist mm -hmm. you know every uh, couple of weeks may just as before you have a, a crisis right you know just to live better so uh, and then at the end of the book, it all comes full circle, like a, a proper hero's journey, which I always love to refer to at nauseum. But he makes the return back. I mean, this follows the whole story arc of, of the hero's journey. He goes through the dark night of the soul. There's mentors, you know, and then he comes back to his high school gym with his son. And right. he goes to, the, he brings him to Boston, the Boston Celtics. And they treat him like, you know, and he gets to come home to be a changed person and his son to see, you know, who he really is. And even though he wasn't a Hall of Fame NBA player, what he has done with his life means so much more to so many more people. So that's what I liked about the book. Yeah. I mean, aside from basketball parts, it was good. No, I'm, <laughs> I don't know. I, I yeah. just, uh, I, I couldn't get into all that because I, I don't, I don't get that world. I don't understand it, but it's the, the overarching themes are pretty much consistent with other, you know, professions that, uh, you know, will push you into, into using drugs as a way of coping with the stress and all that. Yeah. Kind of stuff. I always think like, what would I have done in the same scenario? I always try and put myself in those shoes and, um, yeah, I don't think much of how I would have handled that, but I mean today maybe, but you know, it's very difficult. So I don't know. I recommend, um, I don't know if I recommend listening to it. The guy's got a thick Boston accent and it drove. I was trying to figure out if that was a fake crazy. accent or a real accent. Yeah. Because if it was fake, that guy deserves an, uh, an Academy Award for, for keeping it up over six hours. That's all I have yeah. to say. But it, it, what, it's like not narrated. It. Narrated. It's narrated. not narrated by the author, right? That's not Chris Heron. No, that's an actor. It's just somebody that sound, they, they went out and found somebody with a Boston accent. To, yeah. do, to do it okay he did it and um it's funny because chris heron he goes around the country speaking at schools and in events and just i don't know six months ago he was appearing at my where my wife works at her elementary school coming to do assemblies really and uh i couldn't put it, it together she said oh, you want to come and i i just i don't know i thought it'd be weird mm. i had my social anxiety about it and i right. know and now i'm regretting it um, there's an interview with him on Dopey from, I don't know, a year ago or something, if you want to hear oh, interesting. Um, him talk about it. 
Yeah, it's interesting. And it's called Basketball Junkie. And um, it has a happy ending. So I just ruined it for you. All right. So go read it, I guess. Or listen to it. Read it. Love it. Tell us what you think. Write us at Mike R at MiddleAgesRecovery.com. And um, yeah, let us know what you think of that book. And um, I don't know. I liked it. Cool. It had everything I wanted. All right. I got a good uh, RITN story. Do you want to head there for a minute? Quick minute? We should. Recovery in the news. Yeah. All right. Recovery in the news. Recovery in the news. Recovery. Can you hear it? Recovery in the news. Motherfucker. Really? God, it's blasting hey, hear it my a little headphones. Bit. That's so weird. Yeah. Okay. Maybe it's bleeding onto the mic. I'm probably off time or something. It's a little off. Recovery in the news. So this week's uh, recovery in the news is a pretty engaging story from the Somerset Insider. You familiar with the Somerset Insider? Somerset Insider. I am now. No. Anyway, um, let's just call this one a recovery in the news and a week and weird mashup. Wow. Crazy. Okay. Uh, a local woman is the talk of the town after an outrageous claim she recently made. Sierra Munson, 24 of Somerset, said she was impregnated by Bigfoot while on a camping trip a few months ago. <laughs> <laughs> it's the only logical explanation, says Munson, a longtime employee at Dairy Queen in Somerset. My husband is sterile, so we thought we couldn't have kids. Now I'm pregnant, and the only way this could happen is if Sasquatch was the daddy. That's a very good point. <laughs> Sierra's husband is fully supporting his wife, even though her story sounds a bit far-fetched. She was on a camping trip with a girlfriend's a while back, says Harold Munson, 53 of Somerset. She said that Bigfoot snuck into her tent and had his way with her. I believe my wife. We've been married for a long time, and she's never lied to me. What? <laughs> I hate it when that happens, though, to be honest. Experts in the scientific community have been quick to voice their skepticism. Dr. Alan, you're responding to this. Dr. Alan Furman, a renowned geneticist at the prestigious Yabez Community College, remarked: "From a biological standpoint, the likelihood of interspecies breeding is virtually non-existent. While Bigfoot sightings remain an intriguing mystery, we must rely on factual evidence, not personal anecdotes." I think it's hilarious that a scientist or a professional of any kind had to <laughs> respond to this. Like, we, is it a reporter? Like, what do you think of this, doctor? And <laughs> I mean, that should ruin his career, you know, right there. Uh, meanwhile, Harold Munson says that he looks forward to confronting Bigfoot one day soon to give him a piece of his mind. I've got some strong words for Sasquatch, warns Harold. He won't like hearing what I have to say, that's for sure. Yeehaw! This is a developing story. Yes. Well, stick with Recovery in the News for all the latest updates on Bigfoot's um, romances around the country. Yeah, covering the news. So, sorry, I just, it was too good. I love it. <laughs> I love it. And it was kind of like Week and Weird meets Recovery in the News. We're covering all our bases. It's a mashup. Uh, a monster, monster mash. Well, that but, about does it for today, doesn't it, it? It really does. It does. I know I had a great time. Did you? It was great. Thank you so much for listening. Visit us at middleagesrecovery.com. Podbean, Apple Podcasts, Facebook, Instagram, Spotify, YouTube, and Twitter. So tweet us at twat, you twit. Support your favorite show. That's us. Drop a five-star review. We will read the review, guys. You want to hear your amazing review on the air? We will read it. Join 
join our Facebook group. Uh, we love to meet new monsters and share your recovery journeys together. It's completely free. You just have to, you know, ask to join. And one of our fan fantastic moderators will review your application and maybe let you first, in. The first step to joining is asking to join. Asking. You must ask. Um, get uh, T-shirts are coming uh, soon. And um, yeah. don't forget the patreon.com slash recovery in the middle ages for a higher level of fun, support, excitement, discussion, recovery, patreon.com slash recovery in the middle ages, middle ages. And finally, the best way to help the show is to share it with a friend. If you get something out of our little show, please share the love and help grow the RMA movement. And as we say, non proficiat perfectum. Progress, not perfection. See you next time. Stay fresh, cheese bags. Be Bye. Good. Also, be good. All right. Yay. Yay. Off to the salt mines. <laughs>